while back, in the last episode of the Almanac of Ireland as it happens, I had a conversation with the great modern day bard and myth teller Martin Shaw about storytelling and myths and how they still have a lot to teach us even today. It was an intriguing conversation. So if you haven't listened to that episode, you might like to listen back to it on the Almanac of Ireland podcast feed. It's a good one, worth listening to. Anyway, Martin is an author and storyteller. And after that last conversation, I was left quite stirred up and I felt I couldn't let him leave without actually recounting a myth. I knew there was no point in asking for a particular one, as I've heard him say before that he can't really select a story in advance, as the deities he serves don't let him plan. I'll turn up, and if the mood is sweet enough, I might happen to tell any number of Irish stories, he says. My main source of concern, though, was the length, as a lot of the stories he tells take days and involve various protocols and libations. And he claims that once he begins, he can't stop. You need to allow the story take as long as it takes, he says. Anyway, welcome to the Almanac of Ireland. And this is Martin's story. It was early morning and the great leader of the Fianna, Finn McCall, was out hunting. And of course, where would he be hunting but Ben Bulbin? And whenever you're going to be talking about Finn, you know there's a whole entourage that's coming with him. On one side, we have, of course, beloved Dermot of the Love Spot. If you even catch a glimpse of Dermot's Love Spot, you've had it. He's, he's just adorable. Whenever people speak of what they truly love, you glimpse their love spot. But on the other side is Conan Mal, crow-bald Conan, of whom it is said and said truly that bald as his head was, his whole body was covered with thick, dark, curly hair. And all the socks and the gloves of Finn's men were made from the curls on Conan Mal's back. And of course, if we're going to be talking about Finn, we have to say these things of Finn. We have to say that uh, his house was the stranger's home. If the rivers of the world were spun of pure silver, if the leaves on the trees were spun of pure gold, Finn would have given them all away. Of course, he has Bran and Scalan, his nephews, under enchantment. And suddenly, after a rather drowsy day, they pick up the pace and they come across a young deer. Now, Finn immediately, in the musings of his soul, in the murmurations of his heart, he realises that this is no ordinary deer. And he places the deer under all kinds of magical protections. And the deer is brought back to the settlement. And, of course, this is a new subject for the young poets to compose about, so everyone's pleased. There is drinking glass. And finally, knackered, Finn goes off to bed. hasn't been in bed for long and there's a knock at the door. Now, no one knocks on Finn's door late at night, but he opens the door and there she is, the sky woman of the dawn, the bright pulse of his whole understanding. When he saw this woman, he thought the moon herself had fallen out of the sky and into a field of barley and was singing an old tune he had waited his whole life to hear. He briefly excused himself, went to the corner, pulled his heart out of his chest and said, you could have fucking told me this was going to happen. 
put it back in, excuse me, comes back to the door and he says, Madam, what are you doing? And she says, I'm sorry to interrupt you so late at night, but I have to tell you, I was that deer that you found today. And I come from the place of the other, I come from the place of the she. And growing up where I did, now this is amazing, Growing up where I did, it turns out that the people of the she, when they gather for stories, the stories that are told are the stories of us, our lives, our lives, beautiful, strange enough, eccentric enough, magnificent enough to entertain the she at night. My whole life, I've heard stories of one man, this extraordinary chief, warrior, poet, mystic, and when men came to court me, it was only him that I could think of. Now Finn, who's not always the sharpest pencil in the pack, presumed this was someone else she was talking about, and he said, well, you know, although this is the worst moment in my life, we'll locate him. And she goes, oh, Jesus. Finn, <laughs> the man I'm speaking of is you. And she said, but the problem is this. She said, there is someone called the Dark Man of the She, a great, a great magician who came to me once, he wanted me to be his wife, spoke to me persuasively, then seductively, then angrily, touched me once with a thin hazel wand, and I became a deer. But I knew if I could get to Ben Bulban and find you, I would be free. And sure enough, this has taken place. Well, of course, from this moment onwards, they fall in love with each other. And it's a great thing. The ecstatic being behind her, the ecstatic man behind Finn, all are in radiant contentment. It's a glorious thing. We're all a little jealous to this day. They would leave the party early and they'd go out with a black bear skin and they'd sit there and they'd drink mead under 100,000 stars. But of course, what happened to Finn is what happens to all of us when we fall in love. We forget to defend the edges of the kingdom. And sure enough, into the Bay of Dublin came the Vikings. Long before they created Ikea, long before they had things to keep them busy, they were very different. And so Conan Maul, of course, said, Finn, you have to rouse yourself, be with the Fianna again, come lead us, take Bran and Scalan, and let's see the Northmen off. And he didn't want to leave his beloved uh, dear maiden, whose name was Saif. He said, I don't, I don't want to go. And she said, you go, I'll wait for you. You'll see me, I'll be up on the parapet. I'll wait for you, but go and do this thing. And so the men are thrilled to be with the Fianna again, uh, to be with Finn again. And he gives short shift to the Vikings. He, it's a great victory. He immediately turns and is about to leave. And Conan shouts through the darkness. He says, we're making you a feast. What good is a feast without Finn? I love that. You imagine living that kind of life. What good is a feast without you? But Finn said, I have to go. I have to go. My beloved is waiting. So all through the long night he went with Bran and Scalan next to him. And as dawn was breaking and as he got to the settlement, he couldn't see Sive. He couldn't see him. So he charged in and he found a man with the strange name of Cronin the Buzzer, who was his, um, his, his right-hand man. And he said, Cronin, where is she? And Cronin was crying and Cronin never wept. 
He said, it was like this. All night she was waiting. All night she was wrapped in your cloak. We tried to call her down, but she said, I want to greet the father of my unborn child. I want to greet the father of my unborn child. And just before dawn, it seemed that you had returned. We saw the chariot. We saw Bran and Scalan. We saw you. You got off the chariot. She was running towards you. You were running towards her. And just as she got to you, you opened up your cape and produced a thin hazel wand. You touched her once on her shoulder and she became a deer. And you and Bran and Scalan and her disappeared into the dark grasses and were not seen. I'm so sorry, Finn. For two days and nights, Finn was not seen because we know the fact that next to every lover's chamber, there is a room filled with crow feathers and it is the business of love, it is the debt of love, that sometimes, like the flip of a coin, you have to lie in those crow feathers. And when Finn came out, he had snow on the mountain, he had white in his beard, white in his hair, and of course he took for looking, he took for looking, he went everywhere, every highways, camp, every desolate beach. There was nowhere he didn't try and seek her, and for a while, the men came with him, Dermot came with him and Conan and the others. But when the weeks turned into months, turned into years, incrementally, and it was always at night, the men would slip away. Until one day Finn woke up and he was entirely alone. Years passed like that. And occasionally people would come to Finn and say, no more of this, Finn. This grief is not good for you. But they say and say truly that Finn made an altar in his heart for the bird that had flown away. That's very unfashionable these days. He made an altar in his heart for the bird that had flown away. It came a point where Finn, even amongst the Fianna, the young warriors, had never met him. And one night Conan and Dermot overheard the young lads being a bit disparaging about the dream of Finn. Didn't go well for the young lads at that point, but it pricked the conscience of Dermot and Conan, and they said, I'd rather die now than not be in the presence of the man that brought us life. So they found him. Very, very different man to the one that had left six years before. But they took him to Ben Bulban and they took him hunting again. And at the end of the day, suddenly Bran and Scalan picked up the chase. But this time, it was not a deer they found. It was a little boy. It was a boy with blonde curls right down his back. It was a little boy that when he saw Finn, he ran unafraid through the dogs and held his hand. It was a little boy that when he spoke, he spoke in a strange, antlered language. And Finn knew he was in the presence of his son. Picks the lad up, takes him back to the settlement, a night of feasting, the like of which you could not even imagine. We can barely imagine to this day. They say and say truly that all the grief that was in Finn's heart flooded out and in all the joy that is in this world flooded in. And over time, the boy who was called Asheen, little deer, started to speak. And he spoke of his mother 
and how sometimes she was a deer and sometimes she was a woman and their pursuit through the she by the man of the thin hazel wand. But she said, if ever I become a deer again, go to Ben Bulban, go to the hazy place and look for Finn, he will find you. And sure enough, that is what happened. And I hope that so many of you listening to this will know that Asheen became an even greater poet than his father. And he lived for 300 years at least. And there are rumours, even though Finn married again, that he never quite stopped loving Sive, And that when he finally died, he was very happy to step into the other world and continue his love with her. Asheen, of course, ended up as a very old man on a beach, being one of the first people that St. Patrick ever had a conversation with over here. And even Paddy could not resist asking stories about Asheen's dad. He said, oh, tell me about Finn. And Asheen, in his last gasp, said, you know, my father did this, my father did that, he was the greatest of us. And then he grabbed Patrick and he said, is my father in heaven or is he in hell? And Patrick said, He's in hell. And Asheen reached up and grabbed Patrick and said, Ungenerous is your God. And he went to hell and he got his dad back. As all of us must at some point. So there's a little story for you. Usually told over a couple of days. Like we're in the modern world now and in Dublin, in the heart of Dublin. And had you, had you stopped me, you know, at certain points and turned the microphone on me, I couldn't have talked. Like mm. there was times where I was close to tears, times where I was close to elation. When Sive comes along, because mm. like, you had given us this hint to find where we are in the story. Yes. And so when Sive comes and this, this dear woman, we think that's inspiration for me personally. Yeah. I was so elated. Inspiration yeah. comes and nourishes you. And then I spend my whole time not listening to inspiration, going off and doing the work mm. like Finn did crossing the country to Dublin mm. Bay when the Vikings came. So I was dealing with all that, both in the story and personally, mm. for me, for my fight against... Um, and I suppose for some people, it's going to be a love story. For me, it was inspiration. My fight with that versus all the humdrum mm. of work... And then when Oshin comes back, mm. like I was floored. Oh, but God. it's a myth, an old myth. It shouldn't have this impact on me. <laughs> What's know. happening? What the hell is going on? I know, I know. And I hope that everybody is listen that is listening to it will be hearing it thousands of different ways. And that means something. It means that the thing isn't, this isn't a franchised imagination. This is the true, wild, ebullient, this is your ancestors talking to you right now and saying, do you know what? No matter how lost you feel, no matter how confused, no matter how much sorrow you're carrying, we've walked where you've walked and others will walk after you. Take courage. It's a moment where we really need to take courage. Amen to that. Like we do indeed need stories of sufficient weight to counter our current predicaments and the chaos that we seem to be surrounded by. We're fortunate in Ireland to have such great wealth of stories and it's about time that all of us find ways of re-engaging with them again. 
You've been listening to The Almanac of Ireland with me, Moncon McGann. The series is produced by Colette Kinsella and partially funded by the Broadcasting Authority of Ireland. It's a red hair media production for RT Radio 1. All the music in the series is by Blue Dot Sessions. Mm-hmm.